we've all done things, haven't we? That we did, that we said, that that were really harmful, that maybe hurt the relationship, that maybe really hurt somebody, maybe really hurt ourselves. We've all been a fool at at one time or another. And, and, And we look back and we just go, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at two parables that Jesus gives us. Two parables where Jesus warns you and me not to be fools. He says, don't be a fool. And what's fascinating is that in both of these parables, Jesus is talking about money. When it comes to our money, the smart of us, smartest of us can, can sometimes just be a fool. We buy things we really don't need. We buy things we really cannot afford. We do all kinds of foolish things with our money, and we end up in trouble. Now, now, before you say, Greg, maybe you're thinking this already, Greg, oh, what are you going to talk about money for because that offends some people, and, and I get it. I mean, if I really just had my way, I would never talk about money, but you know what? To be a faithful pastor and to be a faithful believer, we have to talk about money from time to time because Jesus talked about money a lot. This year, you know, our theme is live, love, and look like Jesus. Live, love, and look like Jesus. Say that with me. Live, love, and look like Jesus. This is a major theme for this year. We're going to really look at Jesus and really dive into the Gospels and, and, and talk about who is Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? And if we say we follow him, what does that mean? What does it mean to live and love and look like Jesus? And one of the interesting things, you can read it for yourself, read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke. Jesus talked about our possessions and our money management a lot. Now, in just a minute, we're going to look at Luke 16. And next Sunday, we'll look at Luke 12. You might want to turn there right now, Luke 16. Jesus tells a parable, a story about a manager who was mismanaging the funds of of his boss. But before we dive into Jesus' story in Luke 16, I want you to hear a a modern-day story, a real-life example from today, from uh, from a young couple who I think they manage their money quite well. And so I'm going to ask Angela West, would you come on up? And uh, her husband, Rick, was uh, is out of town, unable to be here today. And I've asked Angela to share, let me, let me get it for you here, uh, 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 a little bit of their journey, a little bit of their financial journey. Hey, everybody, let's hear it for Angela, okay? Thank you, Angela. Good morning, friends. Uh, as Pastor Greg said, my name is Angela. My husband, Rick, and I have been attending here at Clarkston for about 10 years. We have three kids. They've grown up in the church. And today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our journey in the area of generosity. My mom became a believer when I was very young. And so my sisters and I grew up watching her generosity. We saw her invest her resources and her time and her energy to the church through volunteering and tithing. And it made sense. It made sense to invest in the community that you belong to, and we didn't question that. My husband did not grow up in the church. So when we got married and we started attending church together, we had a lot of different ideas surrounding the idea of uh, generosity. And I assumed that we would volunteer and tithe, 
and he did not uh, assume that. So we had discussions. They lasted weeks, months, honestly, even years. We knew the premise of tithing. It was give 10% and it was give it first. But that is a really hard sell. So we gave a little bit. We'd give a 20 here and there, a little bit more for special occasions. And because I kept pushing and pushing and pushing, we did start to give monthly, but after we'd already paid our bills and certainly not 10%. So my husband tells me that he was being compliant, right? He agreed to give money, but he, he wasn't all in on this. Honestly, he thought it would make his life more peaceful if he just gave, right? The whole happy wife, happy life situation. So right now he's in DC. So we're going to poke a little fun at him and I am not going to tell him if y'all don't tell him. <laughs> All right. So for anybody who knows my husband, he is a numbers guy. He has a background in finance and currently uh, his job is to manage the budget for a public school system. Our personal budget spreadsheet is absurd. It has more tabs, more cells, more columns, more formulas than anything you've ever seen. I just want to know how much I have to grocery shop. Tell me how much I can spend at Kroger. That's all I need. So he tells me, look at the spreadsheet. And I, I really do. I try. I really try. But then I'm just wondering, do I need an amortization schedule to grocery shop? At this point, I'm unsure. I don't know. So uh, he breaks down. He tells me, please look at E548, that cell. So I do. And there is a number there. But I don't know. I don't know. Is it how much we have spent? Is it how much we have left? I'm not sure. I go ahead and grocery shop anyway. So for someone like Rick, tithing and giving 10% of your income right off the bat, it's not logical. It doesn't add up, and believe me, he worked those numbers a lot of times. We um, never seem to have enough to give 10% first and pay for all of our expenses. And Rick had a lot of questions about tithing. I mean, so many questions. Why 10%? What does the Bible really say about tithing? Isn't that just something that the church made up so that they can make money? And really, how can we give to God? I mean, he's omnipresent. I'm putting real money in a real plate. It's going to this church. And honestly, I didn't have good answers. And I was embarrassed because my answer was, I don't know. That's just what we do. It's the rule. That's how we grew up. I had never actually examined my own thoughts or my own perceptions on the subject. So about three years into our marriage, we started attending CCC, and Pastor Greg has given several sermons on this topic, and every time he did, he pushed our faith a little bit. The thing that kept sticking with us is that tithing is an act of worship. It is, it's a leap of faith. It's showing your trust to God, because to be honest, God doesn't need your money. He's not asking for cash for a new outfit. He, he's asking you to trust him. He's asking you to give him some of your hard-earned money because loving him and loving others are the most important commandments. He's saying, I know you don't get it. Child, I know that you do not understand, but I am asking you to trust me because you don't see the whole picture, but I do. I wrote a book. I wrote the Bible for you. It's a how-to guide, and a lot of things aren't going to make sense to you. But when you do them, your life will be better. So trust me when I say that letting go of some of your money is in your best interest. Proverbs 3, 9, or 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. He reminds us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, but when you sow generously, you reap generously. And by the way, give to me with a cheerful heart, because I love a cheerful giver. 
I think about my own kids, and I know sometimes I ask them to do things that they don't understand or they don't agree with. I mean, no, you can't have ice cream for breakfast every day. I don't know why. It's just because I said so. I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I know the big picture. You don't understand what's going to happen. And really, God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, trust me, child. I understand more. I know more than you do. And I'm investing in your future. So when Rick and I started reframing the concept of tithing and generosity, uh, it it changed our hearts. We were no longer looking for a way to comply. We were looking uh, for a way to give generously. And we were looking for ways we could give more because letting go and giving up a little bit of control was freeing. And a crazy thing happened. We always have been able to pay for our bills and our expenses. God has provided. And it does not always add up on the spreadsheet. There have been many times Rick is convinced that we will be broke next month, but we aren't. Rick's heart and mind has changed so drastically in this that he is actually now a member of the finance team here at CCC. I would encourage any of you that are struggling with these concepts of generosity and tithing to talk to members of the advisory council, the pastoral team, the finance team here. Examine your feelings, your thoughts, your hesitations. Do some reading on the topic. One thing I love about this church is they really tell us where the money is going. Local community ministries and nonprofits, uh, ministry growth in here, missions, operating budget. There was a business meeting last week, and there's one every single year. And they tell us what the budget was last year, what it's going to be this year, where our money is going. They're very transparent, so it's very easy to see how God is blessing his people through our giving. And it's really very rewarding. I believe that generosity is good for the soul. Generosity builds trust in Lord, and it changes your heart and your mind. God wants you to experience the joy of generosity. Imagine what God can do through us as we give together for his purposes. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Angela. And I just uh, appreciate you and Rick and uh, appreciate so many of you who give faithfully and generously, really enable CCC to do all that we do. Uh, as Angela said, in the community and missions and through all the ministries here, uh, it's your giving really that, that makes that all, all possible. So uh, if you're not there yet, turn to Luke 16 with me. Jesus, it's interesting, there's 31 verses in Luke 16, and in all but one of those verses, Jesus is talking about money. So when I say Jesus talked about money a lot, I mean, there's an example, Luke 16. It's all about money except one verse, verse 18, near the middle of the chapter, and he's talking about divorce. It's interesting. Divorce and money. You see a connection there? Uh, experts now tell us that so many divorces are caused over arguments about money and money management. And Jesus knew this 2,000 years ago. So, so we're not going to look at all of Luke uh, 16. We're just going to look at the first 15 verses and, uh, and unpack it here. So, so let's jump in. Luke 16, beginning in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Stop right there. Now just notice, Jesus is setting up the story, setting up the parable. There's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this? I hear about you. Give an account of your 
management. Here is the foundational truth that Jesus repeatedly makes. In fact, all of Scripture says this, is that God wants you and me to be good managers. Notice, you and I are managers, not owners. God owns it all. And so once you get this foundational truth, the rest of it becomes a, a, a quite a bit easier because you understand, I don't own anything. It's all on loan from me, uh, to, from God. This is a key theme. So understand a couple of things here. God is the source of our lives. Our very life's breath comes from Him. Our very life, the fact that we even exist, is a wonderful gift from Him. And God controls our lives. God could end our lives and take us home anytime He wants to. He's the source of our lives. He controls our lives. He also wants us to share for His purposes. He, he wants us to manage our money and understand that we are accountable. Notice, He, he says, give an account. One day you and I are going to stand before God and give an account for how we managed our lives how we manage our possessions, how we manage our money. And he wants us to give and save and spend in the right kinds of ways that furthers his purposes in this world. This is foundational. It is not optional. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is vital. God is the owner. You and I are just managers. We own nothing. It's all God's. And we are accountable to how we manage what is on loan to us these few short years on this planet. And let me tell you something. This, this is actually freeing. This is liberating when you understand it because God is not a grouch. God is not stingy. God is not trying to see how miserable he can make your life. God, God loves you. He wants to bless you. But he wants your cooperation where, where you're going to manage his blessings and manage everything that he has loaned to you in a way that brings him honor and glory. And, and it's so freeing to, to understand, as Paul says over in 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And by the way, every single one of us here this morning is rich because it's so we, we so quickly rationalize, well, I'm not rich. Because any one of us can think of many, many people who are a lot, have a lot more going on than we do. And so we always dismiss it. You know, I'm not rich. No, all you have to do is take a trip to Borbaton, Honduras, our sister church, and walk into all of their homes, dirt floors, little shacks, tin roofs, and, and you realize you are rich. You are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants, God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have enough. So God wants you to spend money on your family and enjoy things together. In, in the right kinds of ways, in the right proportion, so that you can still be generous and save properly for your future and all that. Let me just give you a quick story here. I remember years ago when our two children, Corey and Carrie, were, were young and at home, and at time when they were teenagers. And, and there was a window of years there where almost every summer we would go to Cedar Point. And, and, and we loved it. And one time we're driving into the park, and it's crowded, and, and, and Sandy, as she tends to do, likes to tell me where to park. Any husbands, can you relate? 
Don't, don't publicly identify. You don't want to get yourself in trouble. But, but Sandy likes to tell me where to park. So we're driving in, you know, Cedar Point, uh, you know, big park, all these parking lots. And so, you know, we're in our van. The kids are in the back. Sandy's right here next to me. I'm driving. Sandy's like, oh, oh, there's a good spot over there, over there. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. There's one over here. And I'll wait. Oh, there, there's one over there. And, and I'm going like this. And all of a sudden, up pulls a policeman. And this policeman gets out of his car and he comes up. This true story. I'm not making this up. And he, he comes up and uh, he says, sir, can I see your driver's license? And I said, hi, officer. I bet you think I'm drunk. I am not drunk. I promise you. I am simply following my wife's orders on where to park. And then Sandy leans over. and She says, hi, officer. Are you married? <laughs> he looks at her, looks at me and says, have a nice day. <laughs> True story. It really happened. And we, we did. We had a nice day. Partly because we had the best parking spot in the whole place. So my, my point is God is not a grouch. God wants us to spend money on our families and do things like go to Cedar Point and, and, and enjoy good times with our families. God doesn't want you to give all your money away and live on a dirt floor and starve half the time. That's not what God wants. But he does want you to be generous. He wants you to give. He wants you to save properly for your future. And he wants you to spend and enjoy things with your family as well. Okay? So you need to understand that. It can be so freeing. God is the owner. You and I are simply managers. So back, back to the parable. So the first two verses, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. He called him in. What is this I hear? Give an account of your management. Okay, so one day you and I are going to have to give an account of our management. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. He's being fired. I, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, if you're following the story here, as people are listening, they're thinking, oh boy, th this manager is going to really get in. He's a bad guy, and he's going to really get in trouble. He's ripping off his boss, and when his boss finds out, he's going to be so angry with him. But Jesus loved to tell stories with a twist. That just when you thought, oh, here's the point where Jesus is going to go, he would bring in some, another angle and, and shock you. And this is what he does, verse 8. The master commanded the dishonest manager. And we all scratch our heads and go, what? He, the, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. The owner commends the dishonest manager. Now, don't think for a second that Jesus is teaching you and me to be dishonest, especially with our money. Not, not at all. Jesus is not telling us to imitate this crook's 
dishonesty. He's telling us to imitate this crook's shrewdness. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Isn't that true? Don't you know that? You know from experience out there in the real world, the business world, people are shrewd. People are smart. They know how to take their time and their skills and their opportunity, and they know how to make the most out of it and leverage it for their future. Now, sometimes they're overly ambitious, and they actually do dishonest things and cut corners and cheat people, but hopefully they don't. It's one thing being shrewd and smart and clever. It's another thing being dishonest. Jesus is telling us to imitate the crook's shrewdness. The word shrewd here means wise. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Be clever. Be smart. It's the same word Jesus uses in Matthew 7, 24, when he tells that parable about the two men. One built his house on sand and one on rock. And, and, and he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a shrewd man who built his house on the rock. So be shrewd. Build your life on Jesus. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be as shrewd as snakes. Be, be wise. Don't, don't be dumb. You, you need to understand the real world and what's going on. Be, be shrewd. Be smart. Be clever. But don't use it for your own selfish greed. And don't use it to hurt people, but you use it to honor God with it and to bless people. So Jesus says, when it comes to your money management, don't be a fool. Be shrewd. And then he gets on to verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9 of Luke 16. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Use worldly wealth. Use your money to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone... You will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So imagine, instead of using your money only for yourself, only for your pleasures in this life, what if you used your money to gain friends, to win people to Christ, to feed the hungry and help the poor? Imagine using your money to help people find God and grow in their relationship with Jesus. So that one day when you die and enter the eternal dwellings, you will find many friends there. People coming up to you and say, thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm in heaven today because of your generosity. When you, when you tithe faithfully over your lifetime and, and some of that money went, went to the children's ministry and some of the, the money went to the student ministry and some of that money went to the missionaries in Africa and Honduras and, and some of these people are going to be coming up to you and saying, thank you for your generosity. I am in heaven today because of, of the money that you gave that enabled those ministries, enabled those missionaries and thank you. Won't it be awesome? Imagine that. What kind of welcome will you have when you enter the eternal dwellings? Jesus says, if you are shrewd, if you are smart, if you could just see what life is really about, you would not spend all of your money on yourself right here, right now. 
you would be giving generously to make many new friends in Christ. You would be giving generously to help people come to know Christ. You would be storing up your treasure in heaven rather than on earth if you were shrewd, if you were smart. Now, now Jesus moves on to apply the parable. He says, now, he, here's, here's what it is to be a good manager. He says in verse 9, we just looked at it, he says, money is a tool. Notice this. You see, part of being a manager, realizing God owns it all, we're just managing what he loans us for a few years, is to realize that money is a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. Use it. See, money in itself is, is not evil. Sometimes we misquote Scripture, you know, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. That's a misquote of over there in, in 1 Timothy 6. It's, it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's that love of money when it becomes an idol and, and becomes the most important thing to us. So Jesus says, use worldly wealth. Use your money. It, money is a good thing, but money is a dangerous thing. It's kind of like fire. Fire is a good thing. We need the heat. We need the light. We need all the good things that fire does. But it's also dangerous if you misuse it. So money is not evil. It's the love of money that's, that's, that's evil. So realize that money is a tool. And you and I get to manage this tool that we call money. And one day we're going to stand before God and be accountable for how we've managed it. It's a tool. Money's also a test. He goes on to say in Luke 10, in Luke 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Notice how he is tying together trust and, and your faith, trust and your finances. How he's tying together your faith and your finances. He says if, if, if you can be trusted with little, you'll be trusted with much. So, so you need to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's basically saying money is a test of your faith. Guess what it is? So somebody, somebody said, oh, I, I have faith in God. Oh, I, I, I trust in God. And, and Jesus said, no, don't, don't, don't say you're a person of faith. Don't brag about how you trust in God if you're not managing your money well because your faith will show up in your finances. It just will because money is a test of your faith. So money's a test. It, it's a tool. And thirdly, money is a potential tyrant. He goes on to say in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's something about money that it can so easily become our master, so easily becomes a tyrant. And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. So, I, I dare say that if you just look at your checkbook and you look at your bank account and you look at the track record of your spending, it will tell you who your real master is. See, 
Money is a potential tyrant. So here's the question for you today. Are you being a fool with your money? Do you understand that we're just managers of our money and of our lives? God's the owner. We're accountable to him. We'll get into some more practical applications of this next Sunday. But I just want to touch on the beginning of wisdom here. Here are just three biblical keys to moving away from foolishness towards wisdom. Just three, three keys that Scripture highlights, and we'll talk about it more next week. But it's, I call it the 10-10-80 principle, where you give 10%, you save 10%, and you learn to discipline your lifestyle so that you can live off the remaining 80%. The 10-10-80. Maybe you're like Rick and, you know, Rick and Angela, and she just shared here. Maybe this just doesn't make any sense to you. Giving 10% to the church for the Lord's work. And I, of course, I don't know your personal finances. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're like the majority of people. You know, most people aren't even saving for retirement. And they have no retirement savings. Maybe your credit cards are maxed out and, and you're just one paycheck away from disaster. Listen, I want you to know there's hope for you. There, there's hope. It is God's will for you to enjoy a lifestyle where you're, where you're not buried in unwise debt and you have, you have a decent cash flow so that you can give and be generous, so that you can save properly for the future and, and enjoy life and spend on things for your family and to do things in life. This is what God wants for you. And, and all God's people say, 